When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yes, hi there. Welcome back in. It's one of my favorite weeks and weekends of the year, and that would be Final Four weekend in college basketball. And man, do we have a doozy of a semifinal storyline between Duke and North Carolina one more time with Coach K's final game potentially hanging in the balance. So much to talk about from that to what is Fox going to do with their number one NFL crew. What in the world is going on with F1 racing, Formula One racing and their popularity? Uh, What do Apple and Major League Baseball have to do with each other? And how does any and all of that tie into seafood and Kentucky and Louisville fans maybe fighting we are going to tie it all in on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast, or at least attempt to. I am the somewhat capable host. He is the purveyor, the owner, the operator of sportsmediawatch.com, Mr. John Lewis, back aboard, a.k.a. Paulson, for another week. How are you, sir? Doing well. You know, uh, semester coming to a close, a home stretch, but uh, other than that, doing great. I just need to say at the beginning of the show, you're not going to make any G.I. Jane jokes. Are you at the top of the show where I might have to deal with you up Uh on stage? What what exactly? I know Will Smith played Muhammad Ali in the movies, but the open hand slap heard around the Academy Awards and around the uh, motion picture industry took place on Sunday. So before we get into March Madness and anything else. What do you, I know it's not sports media per se, but what do you make of that from Sunday night in the Oscars? Well, uh, one, I'll say uh, I didn't see it. I went to bed at nine o'clock on Sunday and I'm uh, grateful for having done that because you, you never want to be awakened on social media when something like that happens because you'll say a lot of really dumb stuff as so many people did. Um, and, you know, the reality is that uh, that was madness, ridiculous, uh, you know, and of course, like everything, it's uh, another debate, right? We embrace debate in this country. Everything becomes fodder for debate. Uh, the interesting thing, at least one poll that came out from uh, David Shore, who if you follow politics, you know, he's had a lot of things to say over the past couple of years about uh, certain things. Uh, he came up, with some, came up with some numbers today that were very interesting because it's not a clean division. It's not that you can say, well, Biden voters think this and Trump voters think that. It's a weird kind of mix where it's young women who feel a certain way, but also older or, or religious people who feel a certain way. Like, and when it comes down to it on the, you know, the political heuristic, right, Biden and Trump, it's like split evenly, but all the demographic groups are kind of mixing and matching. So it's tough to figure out like where people stand on this. I can say that I personally uh, think that, uh, you know, uh, words are one thing and violence is another thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not, I'm not part of the group that believes that words are equivalent to violence. So um, let's go there. Was he out of line to get up out of his seat and go smack Chris rock and whatever that was, was he out of line? Well, I guess my thought process would be that uh, if somebody made a joke about someone I love not having hair Uh, and I knew that that person was dealing with a medical issue, I'd probably be highly offended. And I probably wouldn't become a raving lunatic and then uh, strike that person because not being Will Smith, I'd go to jail justifiably. Right. So, uh, no, uh, I don't believe Will was just, I think Will was a damned fool. There you go on that. Good, strong opinion. I am curious because it's out there. 
I fought it immediately. I was not watching. I had not watched a single second of the Academy Awards because I got to be truthful. I'm detached really from a lot of the movies. I don't see the movies. It doesn't mean as much anymore. And a lot of people are like me in that regard. You're seeing less and less movies. The award show doesn't mean as much. Forget about political reasons why you would watch or not watch. I think that's the biggest effect is, is less people are going to a movie theater, especially uh, COVID-19 pandemic. This is just my opinion. Less people are watching movies, period. Sometimes they're watching streaming. They're watching shows. They're not watching movies, whatever. Uh, so I was not watching. I got a text message from a friend. Did you just see this? And he sent me the still photo. My first reaction, initial reaction, I want yours. Was it a setup? Did they set this up? How much credence do you put in that? Because there's some belief that the two of them may have had some kind of agreement to stoke publicity for themselves and for what was about to happen next, which was Will Smith being nominated for Best Actor to get more people to watch. What is your belief on that, John? You know, I truly believe that Chris Rock has too much pride and self-respect to do that. Just to be completely honest, mm -hmm. I don't know about Will. I don't know mm -hmm. about Will anymore, but I know I, I truly believe that Chris Rock has too much pride and self-respect to make himself out to be such a fool in that scenario. So right. I, I can't buy that. And it is it is interesting. He stood there with his arms, Chris Rock, behind him. He mm -hmm. took the slap and never even touched his face. Now, I mean, just took it and then did the best he could. And I would I would just add here as a counterpoint to those thinking that it was an inside job and they planned this or whatever. When you see Chris Rock stammer there for a moment, and it's been replayed over and over again, and he's looking at Will Smith while Will Smith is swearing and, and, and he says, dude, it's a joke about GI Jane. It's almost okay. like you hit me. It's now sunk in. You hit me on, on worldwide TV and I'm just trying to move on with my comedic bit here. So I don't buy into that either, that it that it was yeah. set up. There are some that believe that. Um, clearly, there's video and still photos out there of Tyler Perry, Denzel Washington coming to console Will Smith during the commercial break, that he was still upset. There was some talk that he was trying to go back to backstage, either to confront Chris Rock again or maybe to apologize. John, we don't know which. He ultimately now has apologized. We've spent a lot of time on this. What do you want to say, uh, wrapping it up? I'm, I'm curious, did it bump that segment? Do we know? Did it bump that final segment in audience? Because the internet's going berserk. Everybody's contacting everybody to tune in. I, I would just speculate it had to have bumped some ratings for the final part of the Oscars. 2%. 2% is wow. what Michael Mulvihill of Fox is saying. He says before the incident, it was 16.468 million. After the incident, it was 16.865 million. So that makes a lot of sense to me. There was some nonsense chart going out saying, look, it was the lowest rated Oscars ever. And then the slap happened and the viewership soared. And, you know, yeah, that was almost it shocks me that it's only a couple hundred thousand. I would have thought like a million or two. I suddenly I mean, found out about it and turned it on because they knew he was about to get nominated or maybe see the aftermath. That's Here's my counter. Here's my counter. One, I suspect that if you weren't watching the Oscars, you weren't going to be interested in anything that was happening. Mm -hmm. Right. Two, if you were interested in this insanity, you could see it all on social media. Correct. You don't Correct. have to tune in. By the time you tune in, it's over anyway. And they're back to the boring stuff that you weren't tuning in for to begin with. So the idea that it was going to go, oh, my goodness, this incident just happened. I got to go tune in for the rest. That's 1995 thinking. Right. But it's 2020, <laughs> whatever year it is now. Right. And the reality <laughs> is that, you know, you can see, you know, you know how many NBA games I watch without tuning into a single second. I mean, it's a lot. I have yeah. League Pass. I don't know the last time I sat down in my house and watched an NBA game on League Pass. It might be multiple weeks. I'm not sure I've done it since the tournament started, right? You can follow every second of the game just on the little ESPN play-by-play, -play, and right. it's basically the same thing as if you were watching it. You might miss a few good dunks every now and again, but the reality is you'll see those dunks a moment later on the internet, right? You know, I mean, so look, I mean, it was it wasn't going to move the needle. And the reality is you're right that the politics are not the issue that, you know, people might want it to be. But I do think that there's an element of and maybe I'm just projecting my own feelings here, just being fed up with Hollywood and all of these kind of weird kind of, you know, you know, 
abnormal folks living these kind of lives that you just can't possibly relate to. And that's not a political statement, right? I'm not saying I disagree with any of their politics, but I'm saying I'm kind of sick of these guys. Uh, you know, I, I, for me, waking up to that story was just one of those things where it's like, I didn't even want to know anything about this or see anything about it. It's just, you know, just the latest embarrassment from a group of people in Hollywood that just maybe need to be quiet for a little while. Just give us about maybe three, four years where you're just kind of not in our lives, in our faces, you know, because it, it's been it's been just out of control. Now, I'm not saying that's why Oscars viewership has declined. Again, I'm kind of projecting here, but I know that as someone who's never watched the Oscars. Right. So it's not like I was watching it. And when it was at 40 million a few years ago, I wasn't watching it then. But it just, you know, I don't know. I think I would, this- inject, I would inject. I used to watch it all the time again when I had connections to the movies and I had seen the movies and I wanted to know, okay, are they going to honor this actor, this actress? Are they, is this going to win best picture or not? I'm disconnected. Now we don't go to the movies in my house anymore. I don't see them anymore. I couldn't tell you who was really nominated anymore. And I don't think I'm alone on that. I think there's a lot of people that are in that same camp disconnected. So Uh, I love your I love your uh, belief, your your hope that that uh, the Hollywood elites could pipe down for three or four years. Would that be three or four weeks? Could it be three or four (laughs) hours? I'm just saying, you know, it'd be nice if we weren't kind of dealing with Hollywood actors problems every single day in the public eye. Why, Why should this be more important than obviously like Ukraine or anything? But even just stories that are here domestic. Why? Why is this something that is now? a part of our cultural discussion. It just seems like unnecessary and ridiculous. And, you know, beyond anything else, I do want to say, I feel bad for, for Chris. He told a joke that was frankly unnecessary. Um, it was a bit tacky. Um, I don't, I truly don't believe he would have meant anything by it. Um, I think he was, I think for him, that was gentle humor, knowing who Chris Rock is. Oh Lord. Yes. Agreed. Yes. But, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, one, it's not just an assault, it's a public humiliation. You're publicly humiliating someone on this tremendous stage. And, you know, you could say, well, he was doing that to her. And I, I don't believe that was his intention. I do think intentions matter. And by the way, comedians do that all the time. If you go back and look at that Golden Globe right before performance by Ricky Gervais, the British comedian, right before the outbreak of COVID-19 and the whole shutdown about a month or two before on NBC, he roasted one person after another that was sitting in that much smaller room with him making fun. That's what comedians a lot of times do at the higher level, make fun of. This was just shocking. And I know we've spent, we spent a lot of time on it. It it is kind of interesting that it ties into sports, sports media and a sports movie because Will Smith won the Academy award. So he joins a select uh, group of actors uh, that are black actors that have won the Academy Award, and he won it for a sports movie playing Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena Williams in King Richard. So it does kind of tie back to what we do. I have wanted to see that movie. This is not going to not make me want to see the movie. I just haven't had time to see the movie yet to see his portrayal because I'm fascinated by that by that story on uh, on how they overcame so many different things against them, the Williams family, for his two daughters to become the most elite, arguably the most famous. I think you got to say it: the most famous tennis siblings ever are oh, those well, two, by yeah, far. It's your second and Patrick and John McEnroe. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Who are known in the present day only as commentators. It's right. like people don't even know that Patrick McEnroe played. To your yeah. point, they know John played. That's a great point that you make. So, yes, I mean, I'm fascinated to see the movie. This is not going to make me say, oh, I'm not going to watch the movie because it's a it's a great story. And I would I would wonder to know uh, more on his portrayal of Richard Williams and that whole uh, situation. I did see something from the Williams family immediately after this was over with and those that were around the making of the movie that they were disappointed at how much this was taking away from that night, the movie and the story. The open hand slap heard everywhere around the U.S. and the motion picture industry. All right, we've given that's it a why lot you do a documentary. Well, but I was going to say that's why you do a documentary, not a real film. Because yeah. look, when it comes down to it, 
you know, uh, one, I will say it's very interesting that you make that point. It was the Williams sisters movie. We all remember how much people hated Richard Williams. And, you know, look, Richard did some tacky stuff occasionally. Like looking back that whole thing after Venus won at Wimbledon and he put out, it's a Williams, it's a Williams party and no one else is invited. That was a little tacky. But the reality is that Richard never did anything as tacky as what Will did Sunday night mm. in ever. He never did. I mean, and there were opportunities, right? There were a lot of nasty things that people said about his daughters. A lot of nasty things. A lot of racist things. Oh, yeah. A lot of racist things. Yeah, exactly. You're right. That's what I mean, too. There was a lot of nasty racist treatment of Venus and Serena, and Richard Williams never debased them or himself the way that Will Smith debased himself and Jada Pinkett Smith in front of, admittedly, not the biggest audience the Oscars has ever had, but still 16 million people on Sunday. So pretty embarrassing stuff, man. I'm, I'm ashamed of Will. I know that's kind of going too far, but I really am. That, that really grossed me out. No, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's opinion. It, it's opinions like this. He had to apologize. I, I saw just before we started recording the podcast here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast that the LA Times editorial board uh, has written this afternoon that the Oscars should ban him from next year. He should not be allowed back for his behavior, apology or not, not, not a lifetime ban, but at least send a message with, with, uh, with what he did. So the, the debate continues on that. Shall we move on? Let's back up on Sunday afternoon and evening. The NC2A tournament concluded its Sweet 16 Elite Eight with the final four teams winning, those being Duke and Villanova on Saturday night. And then the final two spots were Kansas Sunday afternoon and early Sunday evening, North Carolina defeating the upstart St. Peter's. John, I know you've written a lot about the ratings for March Madness on your site on sportsmediawatch.com. The St. Peter's story really took off, obviously, with the upset of Purdue. Elaborate on how much interest there was in that upset on Friday night from a rating standpoint as part of the NCAA tournament. Well, you're talking about the most watched uh, Sweet 16 games since 2011. Mm. There's some level of caveat there. Now, we know that out of home is included now. If you go back just three years to Duke, Virginia Tech, that game did well enough without out of home that if it had had out of home, it would have done better. Right. And there's another game like that, Louisville, Kentucky in 14, that had another uh, very similar number to St. Peter's without out of home. So it probably isn't actually the most watched Sweet 16 game since 2011. But as far as the official Nielsen numbers go, it is. And that's for a game involving St. Peter's playing against a pretty low profile Big Ten team in Purdue. So, you know, this was about St. Peter's. They weren't playing Kentucky. So this was uh, it says a lot. It says a lot about college basketball that people will tune in for a school no one's ever heard of, right? St. Peter's. And they'll tune in, in in those kinds of numbers where, you know, I think it was only like maybe three out of the five NBA finals games that had 10 million viewers last year. And St. Peter's, Purdue was getting that number, you know, uh, in, the, in the regional semifinals. It just, it says a lot about the strength of this tournament. College basketball isn't strong. This tournament, though, is as strong as really anything outside of football in this industry. So that was an impressive number. To be honest, the Elite Eight game with St. Peter's did better, but was not as impressive, right? Because there's a certain expectation of what that window, that late Sunday afternoon window on Elite Eight weekend will do. Typically, you're talking about 15, 16 million viewers. This time it was 13.6. So that was actually the least watched Elite Eight game in that window, that late Sunday afternoon window, uh, really since 2012, technically since 2016, but that 2016 game was on TBS. So if we're really talking apples to apples, that five o'clock Sunday window on CBS, it was the least watched elite game, eight game in that window. But we should point out, and I think you did, it was a one-sided game from the very beginning. There was no drama, especially no drama in the second half and the second hour where the audience would have been building. Cause you go back to Friday night as the upset was brewing. Here's my theory again, People are gravitating. They're seeing the score. They're suddenly trying to find the game, et cetera, et cetera. It's a close game. They're pulling the upset. You had none of that. North Carolina got out to a 20-point lead in the first half, controlled the entire second half. Uh, It it just really was a one-sided game. And it was kind of the same thing in the earlier game with Kansas and Miami where they wiped them out in the final 15 minutes of the second half, blew them away. So as far as the lead in, it also hurt, too, that they were one sided games. None of it came down to the final seconds or a last second shot in any of the four elite eight games. I'm wondering how much again you do this and you do it so well articulate for our audience here on the podcast. How much was the Duke Arkansas Saturday night 
hurt by the fact that it was cable, not CBS, in your opinion? Maybe you don't think it would have mattered that much for it to be on the over the year network. Well, it's a very interesting thing because what I've noticed so far in this tournament is that TBS isn't really drawing TBS and TNT and true TV. They're not drawing the way that we've seen them draw before. Now that game, Duke, Arkansas, it's, I think the third most watched regional final ever on, on cable. So obviously there's 16 total over these uh, many years. And so it did well from that standpoint, but it was fewer viewers than Virginia Purdue in 19 on TBS. Now that was a classic. That was a great game. Went to overtime. But, you know, it's Virginia, Purdue. Neither of those teams is Duke, right? And so you have Duke with out of home and the Krzyzewski storyline that is getting fewer viewers than Virginia, Purdue, which didn't have any of that in 19. So that is interesting. And as we look forward to this Final Four, it's the best Final Four on paper that they've had since 15 when you had Duke and Kentucky in, in separate games. You have Duke, North Carolina, and then you have Kansas, Villanova, those are big teams. Now, maybe not Villanova. I mean, Villanova doesn't really draw. They're not in that same category with them. But, you know, Duke, North Carolina, if that was on CBS, mm-hmm. sky's mm-hmm. the limit. It's on TBS, and I don't know. Do you believe that in this case that a, a Duke-Arkansas game was a million less maybe than it would have been on CBS? Is that fair? Is that accurate? Depends on, depends on the time slot. Because if it was in that late Sunday time slot, I think it would have been 15 15, 16 million, right? Um, mm-hmm. Even at, even with the margin, it wasn't nearly as big a blowout as UNC St. Peter's. So I think it would have been around that normal 15, 16 million mark. Um, you know, in the Saturday night window, it's tough because CBS so rarely gets that Saturday night window. You have to go right. back to uh, 16, the last time they had the Saturday night game, and it was 11.6 million for Villanova, Kansas for that window. Uh, and uh, so obviously that's better than 10.34 so maybe around 11 12 million maybe even 13 million if it was uh, you know but um yeah i do think that ultimately tbs is in fewer than 80 million homes this is the first time in four years they've carried the final four remember they were supposed to carry it in 20 but they didn't so um not only it is tbs in fewer homes but the habit that they were trying to build up every other year it's on tbs because of the cancellation two years ago, that's gone. There's a lot of people who are like, wait, it's on TBS. What are you talking about? Because it's been that long. There was a run there, I think 14, 15, 16, and 18, where TBS had the national semifinals every year, except for 17, right? Mm-hmm. So people were getting used to, we have to go watch the national semifinals on, on, on TBS. Because of the way that COVID worked out hitting in 20, the last, uh, so you've had it 19 on CBS, 21 on CBS, and there's just people who might not be used to the idea of tuning in for those games on cable. So that might hurt. Um, you know, it's still going to do well. It's still going to be up comfortably from last year. I mean, remember last year, everyone talks about the NBA and, you know, NHL and all the other leagues that took a hit due to COVID. The tournament took a hit last year. Like yes, those yes. numbers were better than they were for, say, the NBA in the bubble, significantly better, but they were still way lower than anyone is used to for the Final Four, right? Compared to any pre-COVID year, those were not good numbers. So just that alone, I mean, last year, Kansas, uh, excuse me, Gonzaga, UCLA was 14.94 million. I mean, Duke UNC should, even on cable, I mean, I'm going to say 20 million. I mean, I think- And it may be north of that. It yeah. may be. Well, when it was uh, when it was uh, Kentucky, Wisconsin, and that was the biggest game ever on cable, including the two national championships that Turner has aired. But neither of those national championships in 16 and 18 did as well as Kentucky, Wisconsin did in the semifinals in 15. That game had 22.6 million. I don't I just can't see this game getting to that level because, you know, uh, TBS fewer than 80 million homes. People aren't right. used to watching the final four there after that four year absence. So I think that will, that will hurt it. And the reality is Duke is not at the Zion level of three years ago. They're not drawing like that. The Krzyzewski story matters, but it's not at that level. I think you said that last week. I think it has heightened now with the two wins and the fact this is their arch rival Obviously, that goes in the stew pot, and you've already said it, it can be 20 million or maybe or maybe more. 
I, I really believe the story, and as the week picks up, again, John and I are releasing the podcast earlier in the week. As the week picks up and Thursday becomes Friday and Friday turns into Saturday, there will be a lot of casual sports fans and even non-sports fans that will get, begin to pay attention. He's playing the arch rival again, even though he's not playing. He's coaching against the arch rival again, and this could be his final game. I'll cut it on. I'll see are they winning or are they losing. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I think it could be north of 20. It's interesting. The barometer is the Kentucky Wisconsin game. And what did you say? 22 and a half million. Yeah. That's a large number for them to obtain, which is what your point is for Saturday. Well, you know, it's also worth noting. There's a single basketball game in five years. That's had 20 million viewers. Wow. Not one, not even national championship games to your point. No, no national championship games, no NBA finals games. The last basketball game with 20 million viewers was Durant winning his first title with the Warriors game five against the Cavs. Because remember that next year, it was a four-game sweep, right, between the Warriors and Cavs. And then LeBron made the ill-fated decision to go to L.A. And, uh, you know, uh, that kind of was the end of that and the bubble and all of that. The NBA is still trying to pick up the pieces. As far as college goes, you know, there hasn't been a college game since uh, with 20 million since that same year, 2017, UNC-Gonzaga. And then the next national championship was on Turner. And then the year after that, it was Virginia, Texas Tech, which is not the most appealing matchup. Correct. Uh, and then, you know, last year. So a whopping five years without 20 million viewers for any basketball game. And I do think Duke UNC should end that streak. But it's important to point out that t- TBS is, up. you know, this is actually, let me not forget this. It's only on TBS. Right. So that's a big difference. Back in the day uh, when TBS would do the final four, it was the team cast. Remember this? They would have your biased announcers. And every year, like clockwork, people would tune into TNT, hear a bunch of biased announcing and go to Twitter and be all upset. And be berserk. Uh, Exactly. But that's not happening this year. So it will be very interesting to see because those mega casts ultimately you know, you have diminishing returns, but on the NCAA level, those mega casts were a big factor. You would get 2 million viewers. Let's see. Let me go back. I to, still uh, remember you can look and find it. The first year that they did it in 2014 in North Texas, I was there. My colleague, Mark Wise, who's one of my great friends in this business, he was on the Florida team cast, the University of Florida team cast, which was the first time they had ever done it for that first semifinal game. And I want to say they got around two and a half or 3 million people to watch it. And he was being vilified on social media for being such yeah. a biased homer by all the Yukon fans, et cetera, et cetera, to your point that they didn't realize this is a biased team feed. And Oh, by exactly. the way, another channel has the Yukon announcers on it. Go find yeah. the other channel. Yeah. It was 3.7 million for that Florida team cast. Wow. 851,000 for the UConn team cast. So the real reason behind that is Florida was on TNT. That's right. UConn was on True TV. But you know what's really interesting is that 3.7 million for the Florida team cast, 7.1 million for the main broadcast on TBS. So they took I mean, away from their own yeah. is what your point is. They took away Absolutely. from their own. And that will not be the case this weekend for the Villanova, Kansas right. and Duke, North Carolina games. There will not be the team cast broadcast for any of those for that nope. semifinal, I'm very curious to see how it will how it will do. And you've got your predictions out there. The final four is now set. And whether you're interested in Villanova and Kansas or that arch rival showdown for the ages, Duke and North Carolina, if you're headed to the Big Easy and you're looking for tickets to get into college basketball's biggest games of the year, do so with Ticket Smarter. Why? Because they've got 100% satisfaction guaranteed, the most competitive pricing that you can find out there on the secondary market, and we've got a promo code as well. You can take $10 off your order every time that you use the code COAST22. Coast, C-O-A-S-T, Coast 22. Take $10 off with Ticket Smarter off the mobile app or off of TicketSmarter.com. Again, your satisfaction is guaranteed. Get selection on the best seats, not just for the Final Four this weekend, but for any events. They have over 100,000 of them on Ticket Smarter. Go to the Ticket Smarter mobile app. Go to TicketSmarter.com. Use our promo code. Take $10 off with the code COAST22 every time you use it. Think smarter for the Final Four weekend in the National Championship game Monday night. Think ticket smarter and our code COAST22. 
Shall we move along? Let's on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Last week at this time, we were wondering about what Fox Sports would do at the top of the food chain, if you will, for the uh, NFL on Fox with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman both having departed for the ESPN Monday Night Football gig. Would they promote Kevin Burkhart, one of their rising stars of the last few years on the number two NFL team? It does, in fact, look like that. There's no official announcement. But, John, what is the latest here? Because it looks like Burkhart will assume at least the number one football duties. Yeah, well, you know, look, uh, it's a great story. We know his background coming in, uh, used car salesman, uh, decides to give it another shot and ends up calling a couple of Super Bowls. You make movies out of that. If they ever do a movie about an announcer, uh, that'll be the story that they choose. Um, We'll see what happens. It's going to be a lot, a lot of pressure. It's going to be, um, you know, for him, pressure he's never received, attention he's never gotten in a role where the previous occupant, Joe Buck, was loathed by so many people every week on social media. They would rip him to shreds. He's got to, you know, if, if uh, you know, look, hey, I'm sure anyone in this industry has a thick skin, but if he doesn't have one yet, Burkhardt's going to need to develop it because it's scrutiny he's never received before. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, look, when it comes down to it, it's worth it. You know, uh, and two Super Bowls in three years. If he screws up this one, there's another one in two years. How wonderful, right? (laughs) So, you know, I thought uh, you were going to say if he screws this one up, maybe he's not doing the one in two years. Well, he'd have to he'd have to really screw it up, right? He'd have to slap Greg Olson across the face. (laughs) Do you believe that that pairing will stay there and they are the new Buck and Aikman together, the former Summerall and Madden, they're the new number one? Do you believe that that is the case? It's a lot of pressure because it's not just Buck and Aikman. It's Summerall and Madden. There's only been two number one teams that Fox Mm -hmm. has had the entire time. That's nearly 30 years that Fox has had the NFL. Right. I'm not even sure if CBS had had the NFL for as long when Fox took over. So you're looking at just immense pressure to fill. You know, Aikman was is also somebody people have kind of turned on over the years and don't seem to like that much on social media. But the respect level is so high. You know, I mean, Greg Olson, who has been kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, eyed for quite a while. A lot of people were very much into him. It was him and the Browns guy. What was his name? Joe. Joe Harris, Joe Thomas, Joe yes, Thomas, Joe Thomas right. yes, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, Joe Thomas ended up at NFL Network and not really a particularly prominent role if you're not a football junkie for Greg Olson. This is an opportunity to become a major celebrity that people know uh, whether or not they care about football. That's what Madden was. That's what Romo kind of is. You know, that's what Chris Collinsworth kind of is getting to do Olympics and things like that. It's an entirely new lifestyle, right, of being that number one guy. Now, doesn't mean he's going to get it. Uh, I'm surprised to read that Fox kind of seems to be maybe waffling and wanting to weigh their options, but they don't really have anybody else that they could put in that role. What are they going to do, get Jay Cutler again? The reality is that they're (laughs) pretty limited. So, you know, yeah. Jay apparently wants the gig. I saw him putting it out there that he would love to do TV again because he tried. Uh, he tried. Well, the it'd be the, the one year with the Dolphins. It'd be and for it, the first time. Yeah. It'd be for the first time because he left. What did he even do he a preseason? Did, I think game? he did a mock game. I don't think he did an on-air game. Maybe he did do one on-air preseason game. Then he left to go play for the Miami Dolphins back about three or four years ago, and mm-hmm. now has had the personal problems, divorced the wife. They had the reality show. Uh, who knows if he if he gets touched anymore to do uh, any of these broadcasts for football? Just one more. Do you believe that Kevin uh, Burkhart also is now going to be the lead guy uh, for Fox's baseball, or will they split that and give that to someone else when Buck had been doing both? What's your opinion? Give me a take on oh, that, John Lewis. It'll definitely be Joe Davis because the other thing too is having two separate voices. You no longer need to balance them in October. You don't have to have a, 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 a secondary announcer doing the games when the, uh, when, you know, when Buck would be doing the world series. So it, it's a perfect thing for them. And Davis, frankly, has a higher ceiling than Burkhardt. He's significantly younger. And if you can get Davis working well now, it can be like when Buck was on Fox in his youth where he wasn't the number one guy on football. He was number one on baseball. And then after a certain amount of time, he ended up taking that number one role on the NFL. Yep. When Pat Summerall went off into the sunset uh, and John Madden actually exited and went to Monday night football, uh, et cetera, that, that paved the way it originally was, we keep saying this it originally was a three-man booth of Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, Chris Collinsworth for at least a year, if not a couple of years. And then yeah. it just became Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. And they've now outlived 
Pat Summerall and John Madden's tenure doing really? it together on Fox oh. because Mad Madden and Summerall only did it for like eight years, I believe, on Fox. I believe that's correct. Oh, yeah. Four to one. They if didn't including... outlive them in totality right. because you go back to CBS. But to your point, the Madden Summerall run on CBS was only about 12, only about 12 or 13 years. You combine that with the Fox run, it's right at about 20, 21 years. That's Buck and Aikman to yeah. this point and how long they've been doing it together now that they go to the next step with uh, with Monday Night Football. All right, so plenty on that. I'm ready to mix it up on a lot of different subjects really quick here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. We do it in this form and fashion. Let's do it. Love it or leave it. We know that the public is loving them some Formula One racing. The ratings have demonstrated that. John, I, I have watched in the past. I watch it some. I have not watched recently. Do you uh, Are you loving you some F1? Certainly the public ratings numbers. You've got those in front of you. Demonstrate that the audience is there. Well, I mean, I'll be real. I've never watched an F1 race in my life, but a lot of other people are watching and these numbers are pretty impressive. Uh, they had a rare afternoon Sunday start over the weekend for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix and averaged 1.45 million viewers. The number eight, I think, race ever on US TV, slightly behind the 2002 Canadian Grand Prix on ABC and the second most watched F1 race ever on cable. Look, these are not necessarily numbers that, you know, make you go, oh, my goodness. Wow. I mean, the reality is that it's 1.5, 1.45 million viewers, but it was the second most watched show on ESPN for the entire week. There was mm. one NBA game, Sixers, Lakers, and the Lakers, as bad as they are, they were the top draw on ESPN last week for the week ending Sunday. That game was the only ESPN program that had more viewers than Formula One. You know, uh, I don't think ESPN really expected any of this, right? The F1 numbers on NBC were okay and justified getting into business with F1, but I don't think ESPN ever expected we're going to have a week where our number one game is the Lakers and our number two game is F1, right? So, uh, you know, I think it's, um, it's a huge hit right now. It's doing really well. A lot of people are crediting that Netflix show. Frankly, you know, we talked about this with the Oscars. You know, we, we overstate the impact sometimes of social media and all these various things. I mean, it's clearly a factor, but I, I, I think there's also just kind of organic growth here as well. Uh, so I think uh, some of it is that I've heard so many people talk about that show and I did not see the show and it was a gripping reality show that was building up during the season, kind of like what the NFL just experimented with John where they were doing the hard knocks with the Indianapolis Colts in the middle of the season where you're getting to know the inner workings of the team, the personalities, the storylines behind the scenes total access. It was similar, my understanding I didn't see it, but the F1 show to help give them a bump. And uh, the, the bigger thing is the time slots that it's on. So many times this is on early in the morning because of where it is in Europe or elsewhere, South America. It's not on even on a, on a Sunday afternoon, like you were saying. And they've got that issue. I know you were telling me before we began the podcast, before I hit the record button, they're going to be affected by that because they're off this week, correct? And then they're, they're where? Uh, Australia, April 10th. And that's going to be middle of the morning. That's not the worst time slot because you're talking about if you've got, uh, let's see, April 10th. Uh, I don't know what ESPN's the, airing. That's the Saturday. Masters. The Masters is that weekend, obviously, for right. uh, the biggest, I guess, non of the big four sports that's going on. The Masters is that weekend. You've got NBA getting ready for the playoffs. You've got Major League Baseball that started up. But uh, again, on the time displacement, they're going to run the race in the daytime in Australia, which is going to be in the middle of the night here. So yeah. you got you got very little hope of very much audience except the hardcore and those that are going to time displace those that are going to record right. it and watch it later in the morning or later later in the afternoon. And we should say this: I know people that are Formula One fans in this country. We we should point this out. This stuff has tens of millions of fans and viewers around the globe: Europe, South America, Australia, even the Far East. By the tens of millions, they care about this and watch this. Not unlike soccer or their football worldwide, it's a much bigger deal everywhere else but here, right, John? Right. So we have to keep that in perspective. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's uh, 
I mean, it's getting to be a bigger deal here. The new Miami race is a big deal. The new Vegas race is a big deal. Kind of seems odd that all this time F1, which is so associated with those big bustling cities, you know, the neon kind of uh, cities. The only U.S. race was in Austin, Texas. Now, I know Austin likes to keep things weird, but, you know, we're not talking about Monaco here. If you're talking about Miami and Las Vegas, that gets a little bit closer to that kind of uh, that kind of uh, venue. So I think those are those are two huge, uh, huge wins for F1 and NASCAR. You know, should NASCAR be looking over its shoulder? I can tell you two weeks F1's been back. And both of those weeks, the race on ESPN had a higher rating in, in 18 to 34 than the NASCAR race on Fox, right? Interesting. So, you know, it's not imminent that NASCAR needs to be fearing F1, but, you know, if uh, trends were to continue, no guarantees by that stretch at all. Eventually, F1 will max out. But, you know, if trends were to continue a decade down the line, you know, uh, 18 to 34, they age into 18 to 49. And the scary thing is, you know, 55 plus ages into another kind of demographic, right? So as your audience kind of ages out of TV, you know, if you're skewing a little bit older, you've advanced 10 years, that 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 event that's skewing a lot younger, their future is a little bit, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit brighter. Let's move on. Another subject here. Love it or leave it. MLB and Apple Plus or Apple TV have announced their schedule that is out. Uh, do we think the public's going to love this? Are they going to leave it? You, you've seen some of the teams uh, already. They're going to feature as many as they can, and it's a Friday night game, correct, they're going to do? Yep. Friday night doubleheaders. Uh, they, you know, look, uh, I have no idea what's going to happen here. This is just baseball throwing a lot of stuff at the wall to see if it sticks. Um, I, I realistically – don't see it being some kind of major, you know, event for them. I don't think it'll be dramatically more significant than their YouTube uh, deal that they had. Frankly, I think having the games on YouTube made more sense. I mean, I know Ted Lasso is, uh, you know, popular, but realistically, I think there's a heck of a lot more people going to YouTube on a given day than are going to Apple TV plus. So, um, you know, it's look, if you're baseball and you are trying to reach young people through any means possible, go ahead. But I'm not seeing this being anything other than a major pain in the neck for the hardcore fans who all of a sudden the game is not on any platform they've ever watched before. And they got to go, you know, hunt down. I mean, you know, there's going to be fans going, what is Apple TV plus? What is this? Would you have to go buy an Apple TV? You know, I mean, like it's going to be infuriating for them. It's a good point. And it's a precursor, by the way, to Amazon Prime televising the NFL. I'm saying this. You don't have to say it. I'm saying it, that uh, it's going to be the same thing. There's going to be a demographic. There's going to be a certain group. They're going to say, where is the game and why can I not get it? And, uh, and, and, and we'll probably see some of that with the Apple Plus situation. One more here. Love it or leave it. Okay, so I don't know this answer, but we do this sometimes. I am headed to the Big Easy this weekend as part of coverage on TuneIn and the college basketball coast-to-coast show and podcast that I do. Uh, John, I say with somewhat pride, and maybe I'm crazy, this is the 20th Final Four that I will be in and around covering working in the media. Not all of them right in a row, but I've been at 20 different ones when I'm there, God willing, this weekend. Uh, So here we go with one in the Big Easy. I've been there on a couple of previous occasions when – uh, Syracuse defeated Kansas in the national title game, uh, what, 2003 with Carmelo Anthony, and also the 2012 win by Anthony Davis and Kentucky. You were talking about Kentucky earlier. Kentucky was in that run of being in the Final Four all the time in the early 2010s. They won it, and they owned the big big blue in their fan base. They owned the French Quarter for that entire weekend. Well, now all of the teams are in blue, Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina, and Duke. All right, I'm coming to a point. I've been around New Orleans a bunch. I also have other radio duties with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We play the New Orleans Saints in the division every year. We're in New Orleans every year. I've been there a bunch. Seafood is everywhere. Seafood gumbo, crawfish, oysters, et cetera. John Lewis, love it or leave it. Are you a seafood guy in the least? I don't know the answer. Uh, The least, the least. Absolutely not. You just don't prefer it at all. No, no. Seafood. Uh, yeah, they got a lot of seafood allergies in my family. So uh, and no. guess what? My hand is up on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. You're talking to somebody that used to eat shellfish by the pound for the first about 32 or 33 years of my life. 
and now I am allergic and I cannot have it. I became allergic later in life. It's weird. It's crazy. I have to stay away from it so I can identify with you. So this is, this is rough, my friend. I'm going to go be around all of this seafood and all of this stuff and I cannot partake. So it's unfortunate, but I just, I was curious on whether you're a seafood guy or not, not even the gumbo that the red beans and rice, none of that appeals. No, yeah, that- I'm not, I'm not even sure I've ever had gumbo. Honestly, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I have had okra, you know, I've had rice that has okra in it, right, right. That counts. Uh, but uh, you know, I do like, I do like salmon, you know, if that counts as seafood, you know, when you right. say seafood, yeah. I think shellfish, but uh, I, I like salmon, uh, you know, get that uh, smoked salmon. Yeah. There are such legendary places like command. I'm giving free plugs. Commander's Palace will be packed. They have a they have a fried oyster place called Drago's that's down right on the Riverwalk. And one of those places, you're not going to get in there for un- under two hours trying to get in oh. in the biggie. It's going to be nuts trying to get to these different restaurants with the Duke, Kansas, Villanova, and North Carolina fans all weekend. So. I was just, uh, I was curious about the seafood and about, have you ever been to New Orleans? Not been to New Orleans at all? No, never been to New Orleans. Uh, Yeah. Interesting city. Very interesting city for a lot of reasons. There will, there will be, there will be a drop of alcohol or two that will be consumed between Friday and Monday night. I do believe. Well, you know, it seems pretty likely as long as it's not being consumed by the coaches i think everyone will be fine right so. <laughs> they can hold tight all right do you want a fun I'll, I'll share a fun story that i'm sharing everywhere this week but i want to share it on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast because it ties into media as well so i'm there covering the 2012 final four as i mentioned which was uh kansas ohio state in one semifinal and the other semifinal oh by the way kentucky louisville the hated rivals had never met in the final four before they used to never play each other until the Kentucky legislature passed an actual law, John, forcing the two state universities to play each other, ordering them to play each other. So they finally began to play uh, regularly in the 1980s and 90s. All right, so they line up. This is John Calipari against Rick Pitino in a Final Four matchup. So I am there in a role with Fox Sports Radio. At that time, I was the freelance Saturday night host on Fox Sports Radio at 10 p.m. Eastern time, doing the 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. slot, which is great on Saturday nights because there's always sports that are rolling and the games are ending and you're getting uh, athletes and coaches after the game and interviews and taking calls and doing the whole thing. So I had a blast doing that on a freelance basis. But in this case, I'm there covering the Final Four and I've got to get to the New Orleans radio station after the first semifinal. So this is by design that I can be there for the first semifinal, but I've got to be in position to broadcast at 10 p.m. Eastern time while the Kansas-Ohio State game is going on. All right, so Kentucky wins the game, wins the semifinal game. I'm exiting the Superdome on the famous uh, Canal Street uh, to leave, and I exaggerate you not on what I'm about to tell you. I'm walking out with probably 100, maybe 200 or more. They are clad in red Louisville Uh, You know, Kentucky fans are outside in Kentucky blue, but I'm around the Louisville group that is walking out of the Superdome. Here come, I'm not exaggerating, several thousand Kentucky fans that did not have tickets to the semifinals that are outside of the arena and I outside the Superdome. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, I'm in big trouble because I'm in the this is like wrong part of town at the wrong time with the wrong group. Uh, like the Warriors movie in the late 70s, Warriors, come out and play. I'm in the wrong, okay. I'm thinking this is a rumble in the streets in New Orleans. No, no, John, it's not a rumble in the streets. They want to buy their tickets for Monday night's championship game. And there are hundreds of dollars in cash flying every which direction right in front of me while we're walking. People on the move are flat. Let me see your tickets. Are you in the upper level? Or are you in the lower level? I'll give you, I heard this. I'll give you $600 a ticket for those two tickets. I'll give you $1,200. I saw the transaction. I'm watching people. This is the days of the hard tickets. We've now gone to mobile tickets, etc. I watched transaction after transaction for about a minute and a half or two minutes. We were surrounded over and over with people everywhere. I just relate that story. I have no idea what it's going to be like Saturday night. So the Duke-North Carolina game is the second game. And when it ends, I I don't know who's going to be outside the Superdome trying to buy what. I cannot imagine it's going to be any crazier than walking out with the Louisville fans and having those uh, Kentucky fans that are notorious for invading whatever city, and a lot of them don't have tickets, trying to get their hands on the Louisville fans' tickets. 
I kind of related it to uh, the U.S. and the Soviet Union. If you could get along in peace talks over the nuclear arms or whatever, if Kentucky and, can, and, and Louisville can get together on ticket transactions, hey, goodwill and peace on earth is, is possible. Yeah. I lived it, my friend, at the Final Four in New Orleans, no less, where they're going to play this weekend. Did I deliver a little bit on the story? Just is yeah. it okay? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, certainly uh, you got to have a good memory to remember when Louisville was this good and make the Final Four. <laughs> <laughs> what if I, mean, I said frankly, to you? What if I said to you, John Calipari and Kentucky have not been in the Final Four uh, since yeah. the one you mentioned against Wisconsin when they were undefeated 2015? So yeah, this I was is now say, seven years and counting. They haven't been either, by the way. Exactly. I was going to say you had to be old enough to remember when Kentucky was able to win a game in the tournament. They haven't won one <laughs> since 2000. And uh, let's see, is it 19? 19, yeah. Probably 2019. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they lost to Auburn and, you know, no tournament in 20, didn't make it last year, knocked out the first round this year. Mm. Maybe mm. Calipari goes back to the Nets. Who knows? Mm. That's uh, that's painful for the Kentucky fans. Uh, I think we're pretty well good on that front. Anything else that we did not cover before we depart here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast? Are we good? Um, no, uh, nothing except, you know, obviously don't hit people when they say something bad. That's something that, uh, you know, toddlers <laughs> are told. Use your words. Told. Exactly. Use your words. Do not resort to exactly. violence, right? Especially when he and he had made fun. We didn't mention this earlier. We're bookending the podcast. He had made fun of Jada Pinkett smith before in his will smith's presence before he had made fun of her before it was not unexpected uh again uh, all right so we, we covered it pretty well go back and listen i mean to the the podcast. I, I will say i will say don't you know try not to make fun of people's appearance for any reason even if you don't mean anything by it because people can be pretty offended by that kind of thing but of course there is no joke that's ever been told that justifies being assaulted which you know again kind of seems like an obvious point but I, I hear you on that i think it's a good way to conclude looking forward to the final four this weekend as we mentioned it won't be long here before the baseball season starts up the masters golf tournament we'll talk about that maybe a little bit uh, yep. next week as well uh lots and lots to cover and go over and we're ready to see what will happen with duke in north carolina when we come to you next we'll know about the final chapter for coach k at the final four in the big easy did they beat north carolina and get to the title game or did the arch rival ruin it again where john lewis his last game at cameron indoor stadium is a loss to north carolina and his last game ever is a loss to north carolina if they don't win saturday Could ultimate bragging rights who? They might have to start. Uh, they might have to start paying Hubert Davis some money. Yeah, yeah, if they do get the win, let's see what what will happen here with the storyline and the fairy tale. If there is one for Duke to go out on top, or will Villanova in Kansas maybe be able to ruin it? One of those two on Monday night. We'll see. We do know this. We enjoy doing the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Whether you found us through John's site, whether you found us through uh, a social media link, don't don't be hesitant. Follow or subscribe. And we've seen some audience growth in recent weeks. Follow and subscribe on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're out early in the week. Breaking it down, John does a fantastic job on his site, but we incorporate some of that in the podcast. Hopefully you enjoy the listen. Put the uh, put the words, the spoken words to the written words uh, here on the podcast. John, thank you as always. Have a great rest of the week. All right, thank you. And we thank you for listening to the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.